All right. Well, it's so good to uh, see all of you, and and uh, feels like a happy place this morning. It seems like there's good fellowship going on, and that's such a beautiful thing, such a wonderful thing when we can be gathered together and enjoy each other, and and um, we're gathered here together in the name of Jesus. Amen. He is our Lord and Savior. So let's all stand up for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning uh, with thankful hearts. Lord Jesus, as the song goes this morning, thank you, Lord, for all you've done in my life. Lord, you took our darkness and you gave us your life, your light. Father, I just thank you for that reality this morning. And that's what we're here to, to worship you and praise you together as, as the body of Christ, Lord. And I pray that, God, if there's anyone here who is lacking this morning, anyone whose cup is only half full or maybe uh, bone dry, Father, that you would pour out your spirit, Lord, and that you would bring refreshment to our souls, God, and that you would bring healing to the broken. Um, Lord, not just the broken that are here this morning, but God, I pray that you would you would heal us and give us uh, cups of overflowing joy and love for others. God, this next week as we go about our lives, that that, Lord, um, you would use us to bring healing and hope to those around us, Lord Jesus. Father, I thank you for your goodness this morning. Just bless each one here. Bless those who are joining us online uh, via live stream. Lord, bless their families. Bless their day. Um, Father, we, we want you to be glorified this morning. And we lift you high in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's sing together. Thank you, Lord. I come before you today And there's just one thing that I want to say Thank you, Lord Thank you, Lord For all you've given to me For all the blessings that
week like I'm 27 years old and I was like what would it feel like to be you know some of you here probably um, are there I'm like what would it feel like to be in my 70s and 80s and know that my time is short you know I mean time's always short right but like we think us uh, young folks can think you know oh you know I'm gonna live a long time yet I got a lot of time but you never know and uh what a, what a um, blessed assurance it is to know that you know where you're going. We know where our hope lies. Amen. Um, let's all sing together. This, for this morning's uh, worship, I'm just going to invite you all to stand, sit, however you feel. So if you want to sit, you can. If you want to stay standing, um, we're standing. So, you know, hey. Um, I, I think I can hear you sing a little better when you're standing, so I do appreciate it. But if you get tired and sit down, I'm not going to be offended. But <laughs> there we go. We'll uh, sing Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Submission, all is at rest. I am my. 
demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in Ascended, my Lord. 
dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far away rising he justified freely forever one day he's coming oh glorious day oh glorious day glorious day glorious day Amen. All right, you can be seated and um we're going to have the children come up and we'll do some kid songs. I'm going to attempt to do them. And um, you guys get a special treat this morning because Heidi's going to do motions for you. So um, she'll do them with you. So that'll be fun.
So, I got a question for y'all. How many of y'all think you are special? You think you're special, Lexi? Tiffany? Caleb? Y'all think you're special? Well, that's because you guys are. And Everyone I, is special. Amen to that. Yes. You want to give me knuckles, Donna? Give me knuckles. There you go. All right, so I got a story for you about a boy named Punchinello and a guy named Eli. And um, I want you to be thinking about who this would represent in real life and see if you can figure it out, all right? All right. So the Wemmicks were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by a woodmaker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village. Each Wemmick was different. Some had big noses, some had large eyes. Some were tall and some were short. Some wore hats, others wore coats. But all were made by the same carver and all lived in the village. And all day, every day, the Wemmicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Wemmick had a box of golden stickers and a box of gray dot stickers. Up and down the streets all over the city, people spent their days sticking stars and dots on one another. The pretty ones, those with smooth wood and fine paint, got stars. But the wood with rough or with the paint chipped, the Wemmicks gave dots to. The talented ones got stars, too. Some could lift big stacks, big sticks high above their head. Others could jump really high over tall boxes. Still, others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some, win it, some Wemmicks had stars all over them. Every time they got a star, it made them feel good. It made them want to do something else to get another star. Others, though, could do little, so they got dots. Punchinello was one of those. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell down. And when he fell, the others would gather around and give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so the people gave him more dots. Then when he tried to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Wemmicks would give him more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't want, even want to go outside. He was afraid he would do something dumb, just such as forget his hat or step in the water, and then people would give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would come up and give him a dot for no reason at all. He, did, he deserves a lot of dots, the wooden people would say, and agree with each other. He's not a wooden person. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinello believed them. I'm not a good Wemmick, he would say. The few times he went outside, he hung around with other Wemmicks who, who had a lot of dots. He felt better around them. One day, he met a Wemmick who was unlike any other he had never met. She had no dots or stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that the stickers didn't stick. Some of the Wemmicks admired her, admired Lucy, for having no dots. So they would run up and give her a star, but it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars, so they would try and give her a dot, but they wouldn't stick either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I want to have, I don't want anyone's marks. So he asked the stickerless Wemmick how she did it. It's easy, Lucia replied. Every day I go to see Eli. Eli? Who's that? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in this workshop with him. Why? Why? Why don't you go find out for yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the women who had no stars turned and slipped away.
but, but will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home. He sat near a window and watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered to himself, and he decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into a big shop. His wooden eyes widened as he's at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was, and, and he, he had to stretch on his tiptoes to see the top of the workbench, a hammer as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here, he said to himself, and he turned to leave. Then he heard his name, Punchinello. The voice was deep and strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come, let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly, slowly and looked at the large, bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little wimmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm, the woodmaker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I don't mean to, Eli. I really try hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other wimmicks think. You don't? No, you don't. You shouldn't either. Who are, who are they to give you stars or dots? They're wimmicks, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My pain is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hand on those small wooden shoulders, and spoke very softly. Because you're mine, that's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly, because she had decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What, said Punchinello? The stickers only stick if they, if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand, said Punchinello. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You got a lot of marks. For, for now, just come to see me every day, and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said, said as the wimmick walked out the door, you are special because I made you, and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. So did you, can you think of who that would represent in real life? Jesus. Yeah. What do you think? God? All right. Lexi, I can see you thinking. Who do you think? You don't know? Well, Eli, in real life, would represent God. The Wimmicks running around giving everybody stars and dars, that, sorry, stars and dots would represent the world. Punchinello would be us. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter what the world thinks about you. It only matters what God thinks. And he made everybody in their own way, and everybody is special and one of a kind. So there is nobody else in the world like you. Does that make sense? All right. So just remember that God, he loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, 
or how far you go. He will always be there, just waiting for you with his arms open wide, just for bringing you and waiting for you. All right? All right, you can go back. Have you ever been alone with the Lord and then someone else stands up and shares and you go, wow, Lord, you spoke the same thing to his heart and you've been speaking to me. Thanks, Pat. That truth of that story is the reality that Jesus is trying to share with every one of us. That he's speaking to everyone who will come and hear him. This week, I've been reading through the Gospel of John. And John 15, this is the word the Lord spoke to me very strongly. Verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Did you get that? How many of you got that? Jesus is saying to you and me, just as the Father loves me, I love you. I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. In John 17, verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me, listen, and didst love them even as thou didst love me. Do you believe that? The Father loves you just like he loves Jesus. No difference. If you want to know how he loved Jesus as he walked on the earth as a man, read. Read the Gospels and see and hear. I've been thinking a lot about that this week as a dad, just rejoicing over our sons, praying a lot for them this week, and just, just I, I, I was living in, the, in this thankfulness of the fellowship of our boys. Just as a dad, I love doing life with them. And I thought, what will it be like in 10 years from now if they're married and gone? It'll be so quiet. Because right now they say, Dad, Dad, Dad. And when I get up early in the morning and I get bored, I just jump in bed with them. And I start poking them and laughing at them and singing funny songs over them. And I want to hear them say, Dad, even if it's like 
Dad, let me alone. It's like, great, you said Dad. I got your attention. I love that. It makes my heart unbored and full of joy. Do you believe that your Father in heaven is the same? Jesus said, if you being evil, that word is natural dad, and you love your children well, do you not know that your heavenly Father loves you so much more? And so I went back to read how much he loves us. I want to share that with you this morning. In Micah, Micah chapter 7, verse 7. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. I like to think Michael and Lucas, when they wake up half asleep, they're waiting for dad. Are you? Huh? Are you waiting for me in the morning? (laughs) I like to think they are. (laughs) Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. How is he a light for you? Look at verse 18. Who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. Delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You ever wonder why no one can live in the bottom of the ocean? Because that's where all of our sins are. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. Why? Because of what he did. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels... For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. How does he do that? Read verse 5, chapter 62 of Isaiah. I'm just picking out a few verses. You ought to read the whole thing. All kinds of love language in there. Verse 5, for as a young man marries a virgin. Have you been to a wedding lately? The last one I was at with Jason Hines. And I remember we came down there, Katie and I, and we were there early waiting for them. And when we 
seen them come, walk over that bridge and down to the water. It was like their faces were shining. It was a, it was, what time was it in the morning? 10, 11 o'clock, something like that. The sun was shining bright already, but their faces were shining brighter than the sun. It was like that. It, it, they were radiant. Their hearts were beating fast and their joy was just flowing over them like a bubbling brook. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. My joy I will give to you that your joy may be full. If you miss that, it's no wonder you're pretty miserable every morning. If you don't hear your God singing over you with these words. Zephaniah. See, if you guys don't read these wonderful prophecies, kind of tucked in like gold in a hill, in the Old Testament prophets, you miss all this. You really do miss how excited God is over your life. He's a daddy who can't wait for you to wake up every morning and just bubble his joy over your life. Yep, like this. Verse 17 of Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. One translation says, with singing. Wow. That's what David experienced with his God. And that's why he wrote so many psalms just rejoicing back over his God who was rejoicing over him, was full of compassion, forgave his iniquities. And Isaiah 55 says, I will make a new covenant with you, a new promise, not like the one I made with Israel in the days of the wilderness, the sure mercies of David. That's the promise I'll make with you. I'll be that kind of a daddy to you. But if you're like those wooden little guys, it was a great story. So often we wake up and we don't even say good morning to the Lord. We don't even realize he woke me up. We don't hear him singing over us, and rejoicing over us because he wants to, to talk with us. He wants us to talk to him. He wants that every morning. We just get up and run around and Talk to each other. No wonder we have so many dots on us, right? So, the Lord is speaking to you right now. Punch, punch, double punch. Pat, I, through the word, saying, My children, my daughter, my son, I am rejoicing over you. Will you hear me? Will you come? 
Let me wake you up in the morning and put you to sleep at night. And while you walk through the day, I want to walk with you. My presence go with you. You'll hear my voice and I'll guide you. Every step, every thought, you'll get to know me and I'll get to know you. This morning we're blessed to have Brother John Olive, John and Penny here with us today from Cheyenne. Brother John, for those of you who don't know Brother John, uh, it's been a while since he's been here, but uh, we've known Brother John for over 20 years, Katie and I have, and some of you others as well. And uh, the Lord has just blessed us to minister together at times, and, and so ask him to come and share the word with us this morning. Let's pray for him. Dear Lord Jesus, we lift up our dear brother John. We bless you. Praise you for our brother and sister and their faithful walk with you throughout the years. Their ministry, Lord, to so many of the men and women who have just failed miserably in their lives. And you've used them as a faithful messenger and as a living example to encourage them, to lead them to you, to point them to Jesus and to continue to share your word in faithfulness and encourage them, Lord, I pray that you would bless him and anoint him with your Holy Spirit this morning and open up the eyes of our understanding so that we can behold wondrous things from your word today. Your living word, I pray, share it with a life-giving spirit through our brother. In Jesus' name, amen. thing I've got to do is do a mic check. Am I on back there? All right. I'm getting the thumbs up, so that's good. Now, uh, believe it or not, nobody coordinated how things were going to go this morning, <laughs> but it's going to sound it's going to sound a little familiar, um, and that's just the way the Lord works. He ties things together that. Uh, we have no idea what he's doing. Um, so I know there's always needs to be a title of the message. Uh, from beggar to royalty. From beggar to royalty. I, I, I had heard a song recently, a church, a contemporary Christian song that uh, I didn't understand the words when I heard it on the radio, but you know when we had it on the screen, I could... Oh, from beggar to royalty. And that really resonated with me. And it's like, aha, that's, that's how I'm going to tie this message in because exactly what I want to do. Now, most of us are, are from middle-class families. Uh, I don't think there was anyone in here born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Um, and there's probably a, a handful, maybe, that have... Uh, have at one point in their lives had to uh, had to literally beg for their sustenance, but uh, most of us don't have any type of experience like that. But there's there's so there's a, a big gap in experience as as middle class people living in a culture like ours. If we want to become a Christian, though, we need to first learn how to think like a beggar. And then, if we want to enjoy the abundant life that Christ has, we need to think as royalty. And those are 
completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Now, uh, to think like a beggar is, is, is not an easy thing to get to. Uh, we won't turn there, but Matthew 5.3 talks about, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit means to realize that from a righteousness standpoint, we are absolutely bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God to make ourselves presentable to him. There is this, this feeling of being undone and completely unworthy before a holy God. And you, you know that you deserve hell. You feel it inside of you. And you cry out for mercy to God like, like the tax collector does in, in Luke 18.13. Um, now, if, if, if we have had issues with addiction or depression or character defects that have seriously disrupted our lives, it's, it's much easier to come to that point of feeling broken and contrite. But if we have grown up in good Christian homes and we've never been exposed to those things, thank God, uh, but there is a, there's, a, there's a greater level of difficulty in getting to the point of where we actually feel that burden in us that, that we need mercy just as much as any skid row bum that we've, we've ever passed by. And so as I, as I mulled this over, it's like how, do, how does the Holy Spirit connect with, with some people who might be sitting in here today to understand the depravity of their own soul? And so we're going to take a stab at it here um, looking in James chapter, chapter 3. Now, I'm going to get to the royalty part later, but the first thing we've got to experience is that sense of being a beggar for something that we do not have. Uh, so James chapter 3, verses uh, 13 through 16, it's a passage that I'm not going to say it's near and dear to my heart. I'm going to say it is a threshing sledge that God drug over me about 20 years ago. It was one of the most painful experiences in my Christian life. Verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So one day I was having this conversation with the Lord, and he's like, you know, John, what do you think you bring to work every day? It's like, I don't know, Lord, I'm, you know, I'm pretty smart, and I'm ambitious, and uh, you know, a lot of people admire my work, and it's like, yeah, that's true. But you know what I see, John? What I see is every day you bring confusion and every evil thing into the workplace with you. Now that was a really, really sobering message. And what the Lord was showing me is that where I was selfishly ambitious and trying to make a name for myself and thinking more about how I was perceived by people 
rather than being there to serve him, I was literally introducing a demonic presence into my workplace because that's what it is. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. This wisdom in verse 15 does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. And if you'd asked me before that conversation with the Lord that I think I was being a demonic influence at work, I would have said, of course not. I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm smart. I, I work hard. I do all. No. What the Lord saw was something completely different than that. He saw that I was there to serve me. And that, friends, is demonic. So uh, when, we, when, we think about, when we think about our motives, we've got to realize that um, when we are being selfish, we are, we are acting exactly like Satan. We are, we are just being a, a, a representation of his own character. Uh, when we do what we want to do, it is idolatry in its purest form. We are taking the life God created and using it for our own purposes. That is, that is idolatry. Uh, let's go to the next chapter, James chapter 4. Now, many of you are very familiar with this passage. Verse 13. Uh, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city... Spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, it took a long time for me to catch what's really going on here, but um, is, there, is there anything innately wrong with what these fellows are proposing, that they're going to go to a certain city and, and buy and sell? I mean, uh, anything terribly wrong about that? No, it's not. Some of you do that same thing every single day. You go to, you know, Fort Collins or Cheyenne or wherever, and you buy and sell, and you make a living. There is there's nothing wrong with that. But, but James, when he's talking about this passage, says something in there is evil. So what, what is it? I'm, I want an answer here. What is it in here that's evil? Yes, ma'am. Okay, that, w- that could possibly be the case. Um, anybody else got another suggestion? Yes, sir. They consume it on young okay, that could be, but I'm even getting more basic than that. Um, let, let's just say that, that the money is absolutely necessary for you know, supporting their families. They're not going to do anything improper with the money. There's still something evil in this passage. And what is it? Bingo, bingo. That is what is evil about this passage. It's not that what they're doing is evil. The evilness is that they 
are going to do it. They've decided and they have not consulted the Lord. You remember what happened with the, uh, with the Israelites and the, and the Gibeonites when they came into the land of Canaan? You know, the Gibeonites pretended to be a tribe that had been, you know, traveling for many, many days to get there. And they were one of the ones that Israel was supposed to eliminate. And, uh, and, they, and they fooled them. And what was the problem? They never consulted with the Lord before they made a covenant with them. And as a result, the Gibeonites wound up being protected because of Israel's own foolishness in doing what they wanted to do. And the Gibeonites wound up being um, people that were actually part of the religious process. They were wood collectors for the offering the, you know, the uh, sacrifices on the altar. Um, so what's evil here is not what is being done. What is evil is that they are the ones who are deciding what, is, what they're going to do. It's selfishness. Nothing more than selfishness. And, and, and James says, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, going back to being a beggar. You've, you've been a good person. You, you don't uh, drink, smoke, cuss. Uh, you don't watch bad stuff. Um, you don't wear shorts. Uh, you don't wear Nike socks. You don't do any of that nonsense. You know, you're a good person. It's like, but once in a while, like probably 50 times a day, you do what you want to do. You decide what you're going to do that day. And it's like, what am I going to do? Well, I think I'll do this. I think I'll do that. That is evil. It is the spitting image of Satan. It's exactly what he did. I, uh, we won't look at this either, but Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, there are five I will statements that Satan makes. Five I will statements. Okay? His primary problem is that he wants to do what he wants to do. And he's going to do it. And that is our problem as human beings who have not been redeemed. Is we do the same thing. And when we do that, we are, we are proving what Jesus said, that you are of your father, the devil. Just because you're selfish. Not because you're an adulterer or a murderer or whatever. Just because you and I are selfish. That is our basic, most fundamental idolatry that we all engage in. And so, you and I need to be just like that tax collector in Luke 18 and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If we don't ever feel that, you know, I hear some people say, oh, I've, when, when did you become a Christian? Oh, I've always been a Christian. It's like, whoa, big red flag, okay? That's not possible. You, you, you understand that, right? I mean, you cannot have always been a Christian. You, you, don't, you don't raise Christians. You know, when you have a child, that person's not a Christian yet. They can grow up in a Christian home, but they're not a Christian yet. Y'all get that, right? I mean, that's, yeah, thumbs up. Okay, all right. Good, all right, here we go. Uh, <laughs> just checking. Now, you could hear someone say, well, I can't remember ever not being a Christian. 
if a, if a child has a heart that's hindered from the Lord, that can happen. To where they don't really remember a time when they, you know, felt the depth and weight of their sin. But when I hear that statement, I get immediately shivers over me because I think here is a person that thinks that because they grew up in the church doing all these good things, that they're on their way to heaven and they have somehow managed to bypass repentance. And none of us can do that. We all have to repent. We all have to recognize that we are beggars when it comes to righteousness. Now, once we embrace this idea that we are actually sinners worthy of of, uh, damnation, um, and we appeal to God for mercy, then there's some things that happen. He grants that request. Like he told the tax collector uh, in in that parable, that man went home justified. All he had to do was say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, that man just went home justified. Okay? It's not hard. It's not complicated. It's very hard to get there, though, (laughs) uh, because of our own pride. We have a problem with that. He regenerates our spirit. He imputes to us his righteousness, and he makes us our children. And instantly, instantly, we become kings and priests to our God, Revelation 5.10. Everything has changed. We've gone from feeling absolutely worthless and I, I'm, I'm undone and I, I can't face the holy God to welcome to the family. Here's that robe of righteousness. Here is the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate because now you are a child of the king. And, and we don't feel like that, Right? That is a foreign concept to us. We just got through feeling lousy about ourselves, and all of a sudden, God says, "Race the slate is clean, and and you are my child, and I've adopted you, and I loved you as much as I love my son Jesus." It's like, okay, so now we've got to shift gears and start thinking like royalty, or we're never going to live in the abundant life that Jesus told us is, is ours because of his work. So let me ask you a question. Do we as Christians practically live in sinless perfection on a daily basis? Who wants to raise their hand and say, that's me? <laughs> okay, I, good, good. That was a trick question. Um, what, is, what is our identity? Let's talk about some questions. What is our identity? Do we sin because we are sinners? How does a Christian sin? How should we think about ourselves? And why does it matter? So these are some of the questions I'm going to be mulling over here. Now, growing up in Texas, being affiliated with with Baptist churches down there, one of the most common expressions we'd hear from the pulpit and even on bumper stickers uh, was, uh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, at first blush, that statement sounds really good. I'm just, I'm, a, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, that's who I am. Anybody uncomfortable with that, with that phrase? And anybody want to volunteer why they're uncomfortable with that phrase? Right. Okay. 
Okay. All right. I, I, yeah, I think sometimes things don't resonate and connect, but we can't really explain why something bothers us. And I was, I was this way with this statement for a long time. Um, but, I, but I like your answer a lot because you said, I don't feel like a sinner. Okay? Now, that's, that's a good thing. We're going to talk about that and unpack it a little bit more here. Um, let's, uh, let's ask, let me ask you another question. What do sinners do by nature? They sin, right? Because that's their nature, okay? Now, um, they practice sin. You can probably tell where I'm going now. How about 1 John chapter 3? <clears throat> and all this has to do with how we think about ourselves. 1 John 3, verse 4. Whoever, now, my version may be a little bit different. This is New King James. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is from the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Now, in the, in the Greek, there's a, there's, if you have some other versions, you will see that it'll, it'll say that, uh, for example, for his seed remains in him and he cannot practice sinning. There's an ongoing sense here in the Greek that I'm not making up. It's not in my Bible, but it is definitely in the, in the original Greek language. So the idea is that if we are born of God... Um, we are not going to practice sin. So what does it mean to practice sin? Well, if I'm a baseball player and I want to do well at batting, what do I do? I get into a batting cage and I practice batting. And I do it probably every single day of my life. And I want to get good at it. Um, if you're a Christian, you're never going to feel comfortable practicing sin. You're not going to want to get good at it. You're going to want to avoid it at all possible. You know, if, if at all possible. Um, now, we also know that uh, since none of us lives up to sinless perfection, we are going to sin at times. But we are not going to be practicing sin. So let me give you a statement that I can agree with, at least in my life. And that statement would be, I was a sinner. And I was saved by grace. Now... I am righteous, but as much as I hate sin, I still do it occasionally. That statement would define who I am, but there's a big difference there. I am no longer a sinner. I was a sinner, but I was saved by grace, and God doesn't have 
any sinners in his family. He only has saints. All right? So you may think, well, what's the difference? Oh, it makes a lot of difference on a practical daily basis. Um, now, when, when Paul begins his letter to the Corinthians, and if you know anything about that letter, you know it's, it's not a very pleasant letter. Uh, there's a lot of issues. He starts it off this way. He says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And that to be is in italics, which means it's not in the original Greek. So if you, if you read it without the added edits, it would say something like this. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. He, is, he starts off this letter in which he's going to be addressing all sorts of things like sexual immorality, disrespecting one another, divisiveness, abusing spiritual gifts, suing one another in secular courts, denying the resurrection, along with other issues. He starts off this extremely painful letter with a reminder of who they are. They're saints. Now, are they acting like saints? <laughs> no, they're not acting like saints. That's the problem. They don't, they're not internalizing who they actually are. And, and that's going to lead to issues. Paul also refers to believers in Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians as saints. Now, as Penny pointed out to me recently, he doesn't do that in Galatians. Isn't that interesting? Galatians has some very, very serious problems that are in danger of uh, making them a reject. And so Paul doesn't use saints when he references the church in, in Galatia. Um, all right, so if we identify ourselves as sinners, we are going to think sinning is our destiny. If we identify ourselves as saints, we are going to become familiar with the idea that we are empowered to rise above sin, that that is, that is our nature. So how we think determines how we behave. As a man thinks, so is he. Proverbs 23, 7. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and look at one of those mysterious ideas that Paul has in here. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now, I've, I've heard people say, well, is there even such a thing as a carnal Christian? Well, based on Scripture, yes, there is. Uh, it seems a, a contradictory, uh, contradictory term, but that's why we need to explore this a little bit more and understand what's going on with, with carnal Christians. Uh, now, not long ago I was reading something by Watchman Nee, which kind of helped me understand this a little bit. 
He said, faith in Christ makes one a regenerated believer. In other words, they are, they are born again, they are regenerated. Obedience to the Holy Spirit makes one a spiritual believer. So the implication being there is that we can have someone who is a regenerated believer but is, is not yet fully obedient to the Holy Spirit. They haven't learned that necessity, that lesson yet. And they're going to act carnal. Um, so when we look around the church today, it's full of, it's full of carnality. There's no question about that. Why is that the case? Well, maybe, maybe they don't care. And I would suggest that they don't care, then they've had a false conversion experience. They don't really know the Lord. That would describe me from ages 13 to 19, where uh, I was a professor, but I was, did not have the reality of what I was professing. <clears throat> but maybe they're truly converted, and they suffer from an identity crisis. When, when we become Christians, we are saddled with a host of thinking errors, of traditions, of cultural beliefs, all sorts of things that are absolutely, uh, they, they need to all be gotten rid of if we are ever going to enjoy rich fellowship with the Lord and, and walk in anything close to uh, Christian victory. Um, our minds need to be renewed. Our thinking has to change. Our wills have to be yoked with Christ. Now, when Paul's writing this letter to the, to the ch church in, in Corinth, it's been about five years since he founded that church, and he spent the first 18 months with them. I mean, so he invested a lot of time and energy into, into working with them, and five years later, they are they're still missing the boat. You know, they still have a lot of problems. And he's like, y'all should really be further along in your spiritual growth than you are now. So what that tells me is that this renewed mind and this changed thinking doesn't occur by osmosis. It just doesn't occur because time goes on. Even time spent in the Word. We have, to, we have to work at identifying our thinking errors, at, at identifying the, the parts of us that, that are straying afield in our, in our thought life and our desires that, that keep us from actually focusing on the Lord's will for our lives. Um, so that, that's the problem that the church in Corinth had. Many Christians today suffer from deep-seated insecurities and trauma that they've not been healed from. Uh, as, a, as a young man, I, you know, had, had some issues with post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, as, a, as a Christian, I didn't really think about those things, and, and I had no idea that, that that history was still affecting me. In, in, um, in how I reacted with people. It interfered in my relationships with people. It interfered in my relationships with, with the Lord. And, and I didn't realize that. And I think most Christians probably are uh, traumatized to some extent from the things that, they've, that have gone on in their past. And you don't just get to ignore that. 
you you got to work on it. And and you know if people are seeing things in your life that are that are not good, um, take that seriously because those things just don't correct themselves. Um, I was I was 30 years old. I was a successful uh, federal probation officer. I, I I was a lot of people thought I would wind up in uh, upper regions of management, and and I I never really thought that was going to happen when I when I began my career, but as those those prophecies uh, began to influence me, I thought back to my junior high days when I was very insecure and emotionally damaged. And I, and I thought, you know, that would be really cool because when I achieve all these things that I want, I'll be able to tell that, that scared young kid I was that, hey, you proved everybody wrong, you know, you made it. You were actually a success. Okay, really? Um, talk about an unrenewed mind. It's like, is that why God saved me? Is that why he gave me that career? No. That was, that was not even close to the, to the answer. So God had to strip all that stuff away from me and get me back to the point of saying, all my identity is in you. You are my life. Take my life and use it for your glory, not for proving anything to anyone, including me. And, and that began a what really began the, the journey in my Christian maturity. And that's been going on for, for 20 years. So listen to yourself in your internal dialogue. Maybe there's things you tell yourself that, that you don't tell anybody else. Um, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 40, or I want to you know, travel to every continent. I want to climb Mount Everest. I want to do this. I want to do that. And it's like, okay, step back. And listen to yourself and think, why do I feel like that? What am I trying to prove? And to whom am I trying to prove it? And is that what God wants out of my life? Is that honoring him? Is that serving people? What is it about that that, um, that, that makes it God's will instead of mine? And if the answer is, well, I really can't think of anything, then I suggest that you, that you get that stricken from your bucket list <laughs> and work on God's bucket list, which I can tell you is going to be a lot different than what we think of as a proper bucket list. Uh, so it, how we identify ourselves is, is critical to how we behave. Now, um, here's what I can say about myself, and this is only by God's grace. I'm a saint. I am accepted in the beloved. I am an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. I am highly favored. I have all my needs met. I am loved by God washed in the blood of Christ, made a king and priest to our God. This is my identity. This is who I am. 
All right? And everybody in here ought to be able to say that. One of the things I do sometimes in the recovery group is um, we, we cover something very similar to this, and I make everybody in the group introduce themselves as St. John, St. Penny, St. Phil, St. Crit. And it, you talk about weird. That is a weird feeling. But that is the truth. That is the truth about who you are today. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been regenerated, you are no longer who you were. You are a new creation. You are saint fill in the blank. Okay? Um, so when I sin, it no longer feels comfortable. It feels strange and foreign and something that, that makes me feel filthy. I'll, I'll tell you a little story about this. Uh, when, I, when I worked as a probation officer at, at the state, this is going back 30 years, um, some of the home visits we would go on were uncomfortable. I remember one in particular in Laramie in, in wintertime. You know, it was uh, way too cold to have the windows open. So I go in this, this trailer and oh, overcome with the odor of cigarette smoke and cat litter boxes. And the combination of that, it's like I, I could almost feel like my skin was starting to dissolve. It was so nasty. I don't remember what I said. I don't remember how long I was in there, but it wasn't long. And I, and I got out and I got back in the, in the vehicle and it's like, oh, I could, I could still smell it. It, was, it. it just infiltrated all my clothes. I was, I was so filthy. And I, and I went home. I just drove straight home. And I <laughs> peeled every piece of clothing off that I had, dumped it in, in the, in the uh, laundry, and I just dashed to take, go take a shower. I could not get clean fast enough. All right? That give you some idea of what sin should feel like to us as saints. You know, if we identify as sinners, that's not going to be any big deal. But if we're saints, it's going to feel really foreign and nasty and something we, we want to get rid of as soon as possible. That is why this is important, to think like a saint, because then we're not going to like sin, we're not going to tolerate it in our lives. And... Uh, so I, you know, as members of the royal family, this is how the Lord wants us to think about ourselves. Not as sinners saved by grace, but as, but as saints who are sharing in the um, communion with our Lord and representing him on a daily basis. And we should, we, should feel, we should feel foreign to sin from that point forward. May the Lord give us wisdom in this. Amen, Brother John. Thank you for sharing that word. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed. Have you ever been filthy and taken a shower? That's what he's talking about. That's physical, but you need the spiritual as well, or you'll walk around 
spiritually as one who hasn't taken a shower ever or maybe only once a month and such were some of you but you were washed but you were sanctified that word sanctified simply means set apart from your sin but you were justified just as if you had never sinned. How far apart does the Lord remove your sins from you? As far as the east is from the west. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. And I love what you said about grace, that grace changes us. Verse 8, of Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, you did not love God, you do not love God today, because you chose to. Jesus said, you did not choose me, I chose you. And you responded. We love him because he first loved us. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. You hear someone boasting, and you know they got it wrong. They think they are who they are in Christ because of themselves. They got it wrong. It's not true. For... We are his workmanship. You ever feel like he's still working on you? There's that wonderful little song that I learned as a child. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You know that song? We are his workmanship. He's still working on me. There should be a sign over my heart. Slow down. God's at work here. Don't you all want to have that sign over your heart? Slow down in judgment. Don't judge me so quick. God's still at work here. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, before I was born again, that we should walk in them. God has a work prepared every day for you and I to do. The boys often ask me, Dad, what are we going to do today? I said, well, we don't know yet. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. This is our plan, but the Lord will direct our steps. A man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. There's this wonderful song that came to my heart as John was sharing. Jason and Heidi, I wonder if you would lead us in it. Um, I'm trying to think how it goes now. It wasn't ringing in my heart, so now my mind just... Um, it left me. Uh, not my will, but thine um, is, is the phrase... I guess we won't sing it. It left me. Can someone help me out? No, you can't because I'm not clear. 
Okay. Maybe we're to sing it another time. What, Steve? It's not coming. Have thine own way. Thank you, Reuben. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Could you lead us in that song? You know? It's a beautiful old hymn. Can you research it, Anthony, and put it up on the board for us? Yeah. We don't. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe Anthony can lead us. Would you mind, Anthony? You're the hymn leader if you, if you want to. It's a beautiful song of the Lord being the potter and us just being the clay and having that yielded heart and life to him, having his own way in us. Dave is finding it. Five oh five. Very good. In the um, in the green books. Yep. And the green books. Five oh five. All right. You're going to need to sing out because I don't want to sing a solo here by myself. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the Potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after Thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still, have Thine own way, Lord. Have Thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. Yes, in Thy presence, humbly I bow. Have Thine own way, Lord, have Thine own way. Wounded and weary, help me, I pray. Power, all power, surely is thine. Touch me.
All right, well, let's have a closing prayer, and we'll dismiss and have our meal. We do have a meal, so please uh, stay and enjoy that with us in that time of fellowship. Father, I thank you for this time that you have given us this morning and the joy of looking into your word and hearing from you. And I pray that these things would go with us through this day, through this week, and continue to change our lives. I thank you for the food you have provided for us, and we pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.